The Bible is the source of truth. There's nothing wrong in this book. It was not devised by man. This is the Word of God. God gave this book. And He gave it word by word. Every word in the Bible was given by God. And man wrote what God told them to write over a period of 1,600 years by 35 to 40 different writers from every walk of life. It is God's book. And therefore, you have a source of truth. If you learn this, you'll know what truth is, and you'll know how to live, how to make wise decisions. I want you to be smarter than the average bear. And when it comes to soul winning, uh, if you was to look around this room and you look at different people and you say, well, man, that, that person would be hard to reach. That person would be hard to reach. And the person you think's the easiest can be the hardest. And the person you think's the hardest can be the easiest. You never know. There are some people who think, well, I don't need to go to church to go to heaven because I'm just as good as the people that go to church. Well, whoever said that going to church is what gets you to heaven? You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. So now what are you going to do? Well, I'm just as good as everybody else. Who cares? Everybody else you compare yourself to isn't good enough to go either. Now what are you going to do? We must compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. Because Christ is perfect and you and I, we're not perfect. So if you have to be good to go to heaven, well, you're not going to make it because God said there's none good. Okay, we've got to be better than that. God says you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. All right, are you perfect? Are you as righteous as God? So whether you're witnessing or just for the satisfaction of knowing in your own mind where you stand... This is good for you. Look at the next statement. Church people are sinners like everybody else, but they're saved by grace. See, the people that go to church, they're still sinners, but they're saved sinners. I'm a saved sinner. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. That doesn't mean that I think I'm better than somebody else. Don't try to give the idea you're better than they are, because you're not better than they are. God says there's no difference. You're all the same. In God's eyes, you're all sinners. You come short of perfection. So you get the chip off your shoulder and stop looking down your long, fair, silken nose like your Kellogg's cornflakes, just a little bit better, you know, than somebody else. You know, you're not. The reason people come to church is like, yeah, let me show you something. The church is like a hospital. You want well people on the staff, but we let anybody come because we're, we want to help everybody. But see, this is a spiritual hospital. It's not a physical hospital. It's a spiritual hospital. I, I, don't, I don't heal everybody of all their sicknesses and diseases. I don't make short people taller. I try to help you spiritually. I look at people, and as the scripture says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, he says, you are sick from the toe to the head, spiritually. And I look at people as people are spiritually sick, and I'm, I'm Dr. Arnold, and I'm going to go to my medicine cabinet, and I'm going to pull out some verses, and I'm going to help you to get well. The message, the power that can do that for an individual, you got it. I covered this the other night, but this is just a little bit different from a different perspective with different scriptures. There are too many hypocrites in the church, and we sometimes use what you know, people are doing as an excuse for us not to do what we should do. A hypocrite is a, a play actor. They're a person who pretends to be something that they're not. Uh, they came actually with the, uh, the playwrights of uh, even back in Shakespeare's time. Called a hypocrite. That's a person who went out on the stage and they pretended to be something that they were not. That was an actor. Well, we have people in life that do that. You pretend you're a Christian. You go to church. You read your Bible. You sit. You look holy. You even bow your head. You pray and all those things. But see, you pretend it. You're not real. I did that for years, but I didn't know I was hypocritical. I didn't know that I was 
not really a Christian. I thought that I must have been a Christian. I was born in America. Uh, everybody's a Christian, aren't they? Did all those good things, you're supposed to be a Christian. Well, I was wrong. Even though I was sincere, I was just wrong. You can pretend, but that doesn't make it so. If somebody tells you, here you're trying to witness to somebody, give them the gospel. And all of a sudden I give Leon the gospel, and Leon says, I, 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 there's just too many hypocrites in the church. Yeah, okay, no, so what? Who cares? I don't want to take and become defensive and then jump all over him and try to convince him, well, you're a hypocrite too. I won't win him that way. Quietly show that hypocrites exist in every walk of life. Would we stop eating because farmers are hypocrites? No, you're going to eat anyway. I think if hypocrites go to church, that's a good place for them to be. At least you're going to learn something. Maybe that's why I've been a hypocrite. Do not let the earthly hypocrites keep you from Christ, or you will end up in hell with them. <laughs> if the hypocrites don't trust Christ as Savior, and they're real hypocrites, and they go to hell, you say, well, I don't want to go to the church because they're little hypocrites. Okay, you can spend eternity in hell with them. <laughs> don't that, does that make sense? Sometimes those we call hypocrites, and this is true, are simply weak people who need our prayers and help. There's people that sometimes are hypocritical in the things they say and do. And uh, they just need some prayer and they need a little help and uh, maybe a good pat on the back. I talked to people and I would get them right there, right there to trust the Lord. I said, you know you're a sinner. Yes, I do. You believe Christ on the cross? Yes, yeah, I said, will you right now? Will you right now? Will you eat right now? Will you accept Christ as your Savior? Well, I, 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 need, to, I need to wait a little bit. and then I'm, um, I'm going to wait on God to show me some more stuff. I says, look, you're not going to live long enough. For God to show you everything you want to know. I says, you understand the simple basic things. One, you're a sinner. Christ paid for your sins. If you don't trust him, you're going to hell. If you do, you'll go to heaven. Now, what else do you need to know? <laughs> now, see, in my mind, that's all you need to know. Go ahead and trust Christ as your Savior right now. Learn those answers later. And if you never learn them, so what? But if you do learn them, fine. But you've got the most important thing settled. See, I am a result-oriented type person. I think about what's the point. The main point is... I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to trust Christ as Savior. And nothing else matters. They'll be more concerned about that poor heathen over there in Africa. Well, I'm not interested in that heathen in Africa right now. I'm talking about you. You're a heathen right here in America. <laughs> God has shown us he loves us and wants to forgive, save, and bless you. Would you have him write another Bible? Send Jesus to die again or send another Holy Spirit? What do you want God to do? I'm waiting on God to do something. Well, what do you want him to do? Raise the dead? Present some little miracle for you? You see, why, why should God have to do something extra special for you to convince you to trust him when he didn't do it for everybody else? Why should God have to reveal more to you than he revealed to me? Whenever I was 18 years old and Betty's dad was talking to me down here in Parkview Apartments, he didn't use no psychology on me. <laughs> he didn't use prophecies on me. He didn't use scientific facts on me. Uh, he, he, he explained to me John 3.16. Now, if John 3.16 and Ephesians 2.8 and 9 and a couple of verses, if that's good enough for the average guy, it ought to be good enough for everybody. But there's always somebody who wants, I need a little more, a little more convenient. You can't win everybody, and you're not going to convince everybody. Whatever a man wants God to do, he's already... See, I've had people say, well... Prove to me there's God. Prove, prove to me there's a God. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to get up there and get a hold of God, bring him down here and says, there he is. See, there's God. I can't do that. I believe God has already revealed himself to a person. 
and that a person knows that there's a God. They just don't know who he is and where he's at and what he's like, but they know that there's a God. You are not waiting on God. He is waiting on you. God is the Father who is forever seeking the prodigal son. Jesus is the seeking Savior who says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He's the one that's doing the seeking. Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. God's the one that seeks. He wants you to come to Him and trust Christ as Savior. Now, even though you may be listening with the ear of a person who's going to explain this to somebody, it also can help you in your own understanding. Because you need to understand this. You need to know that God loves me. God wants me. God sought me. And after you trust Christ as Savior, there's so many things that God wants to do with your life. God's invitation is always, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That's what God says. So God wants everybody to come. So you don't have to, well, I'm waiting on God. Waiting on God to do what? God will save every person that comes to him. But he won't make you do it. And once you trust him as your Savior, he gives you what kind of life? Eternal life. And if it's eternal life, it lasts forever. And if it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where are you going to go when you die? You're going to heaven when you die. I've had people that have told me this. I done done too many bad things. God can't save me. One day I talked to a man right ahead, one of the Navy SEALs. He was so emotionally mixed up. And I asked him, I said, where are you going to go when you die? And he just bowed his head and he started to sobbing. He said, God can't save me. I says, why can't God save you? He says, because of what I've done. I said, what have you done? He said, I don't want to talk about it. He said, I've just done too many things. And he says, God can't save me. I said, the Bible says God can save everybody. He says, he can, but not me. And I said, well, why? He says, I was a Navy SEAL. He said, I've killed 50-something men with my hands. I have killed that many people. And I told him, I says, well, I'm sorry. I said, the Bible says that God's already done saved the chief of sinners. And I said, you're just one of the little Indians. Paul says he was the chief of sinners. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so if he can save the chief, I says, you're just a little Indian. I said, God can save you. I, anyway, I explained some more. He trusted Christ as Savior. But he thought that he had done too many things and God couldn't save him. The Bible says the Apostle Paul made the statement there in Timothy. He says, God used me as an example because he says, I persecuted the church. I killed people. I put them in prison. I did all these bad, wicked things. He said, and God saved me. And if God can save me, God can save anybody. No one is worthy of being saved. But God says all are bad. God says there's none good. We've all done things wrong. See, you may think that your mama's good enough to go to heaven. You may think you got dear old Aunt Susie. She'd give you the shirt off her back. She'll go to heaven because she's such a good lady and she's so religious. That doesn't mean she's going to heaven. If they have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are not saved. If they're not dependent upon what Christ did on the cross for them, they are not saved. It doesn't matter if they go to church. Well, my family goes to church. We've been raised in church all our life. That doesn't matter. None of it matters. If the person never trusts the Lord, they're lost. They'll go to hell. person that you love the most, your aunt, your uncles, your grandparents, if they haven't trusted the Lord, they're lost. 
and they'll spend an eternity separated from God. They don't have to join this church. They don't have to be baptized. But they must trust Christ as Savior. I want you to know that because, see, you'll never be a good soul winner. You'll never be really concerned about somebody else's eternal destination if you think they're all right, if you think they got a chance of making it without trusting Christ. There is no other way. Christ says, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby a man must be saved. There is no other way. You have to believe that. Otherwise, you'll never witness to people because you'll think that right, they go to church. What does that prove? Well, they're good people. What does that prove? They give money. They live just as good as I do. What does that mean? Have they trusted Christ as their Savior? Are they trusting Him to take them to heaven when they die because He t died, paid for all of their sin? If they haven't done that, they're lost. Lost. What does that mean? It means they go to hell for all eternity. And there are no second chances. This truth, though I, I don't like it, I, I really don't like it, but it's still the truth. It burns in my bones. Paul claimed to be the chief of sinners, and Jesus saved him and transformed him into a mighty witness. I've had so many people say, well, I can't live the Christian life. I can't hold out. When I witness to somebody and they say that, a lot of times it's because somebody, and generally it's a preacher, who has told them that you've got to live a certain way to go to heaven. And they feel like, I've already tried, i failed, I can't do it, so why try again? And the problem is, is whoever told them they had to live a certain way to get to heaven, it was a lie. You do not base your eternal destination, where you're going when you die, going to heaven is not a reward that God gives to you if you'll behave yourself down here. If you'll live right, I'll let you go to heaven. That is not true. That is not true. Because salvation, going to heaven, it's a gift. It's free. I can't live the Christian life? That's the truth. You sure can't. The Christian life is not what you do for Christ, but what Christ does with you and through you. It's say, here's Christ. He walked in here. Uh, and you're lost. Oh, you could do some things for him. But that doesn't make that the Christian life. You could go get him a glass of water. That doesn't make that the Christian life because you went and got a glass of water and gave it to Christ. So you did something for him, but that doesn't make you a Christian. So that's still not the Christian life. The Christian life is a Christian who has Christ's life in them. And Christ, he puts his life in you that he might live through you. So the biggest part that a Christian has in the Christian life is just getting out of the way. Just get out of the way and... Yield your body to the Lord so God can use you. You see, it's you allowing Christ to live his life in you. Paul said, and this is an awesome verse, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, the Christian life, Christ liveth in me. He lives in you. The Christian life is Jesus Christ living in you. And he wants to live through you. He wants to have the possession of your body. That's why you're not to use your body for wrong purposes. It belongs to him. He bought it, paid for it, and it's his little house. And he wants to use it. Now get this. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen. I was dying and going to hell. 
I could not save myself. Christ came, paid for my sins, sets me free from hell. I can't go there. He has saved me from hell, given me eternal life. I become his child. He owns me. For me to live the rest of my life for him is a reasonable thing. It is very unreasonable that you would want to waste your life doing whatever you want and not live your life for the person who saved you from hell. But you may, but you'll still go to heaven because he loves you that much. The other verse says, And again, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. This is Philippians 4.13. Now get the balance. Galatians 2.20 says that Christ liveth in me. So it's his life. Philippians 4.13 tells us that I can do all things through Christ, his strength. The Christian life is not something that wears a person out. The Christian life is not something you get burnt out. I'm just burnt out. No, you're not burnt out. Not if it's his life and his strength. If you're using your life and your strength, yeah, you'll burn out. You can't make it. And that's why you quit after a while. That's why you can't hack it. That's why you can be fired up one minute and dead the next minute. But his life doesn't die out. It doesn't fade. His strength doesn't get weaker. His strength doesn't get stronger. His strength is strength. His power is power. His life is life. And you got it all the day you trusted Christ as your Savior. What you find is you are yielding to his life, yielding to his strength so that God can use you. His strength through you. Get what he says here. Tells us that I can do all things through Christ because you're doing it through his strength. Now, we no longer do it in his strength. No, you're going to wear out and you won't last and you're going to fall to temptations. The trials and tribulations of this world are going to bring you down. And you're not going to walk. You're not going to stand strong. Oh, yeah, you'll go to heaven when you die because God doesn't go back on his word. He promised you eternal life. That's true. That's real. He'll never take it away. Jude reminds us that God is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude 24. See, see God says that you're in his hand and he'll never let you go. No man can pluck you out of his hand. Nobody can steal you away from God. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, you're in His hands, you're going to heaven, and He'll never lose you. He'll never let go of you. That's the best news I ever heard of in my whole life. He promised to give us eternal life and to let no one pluck us out of His hand. And there's the verse. You ought to look it up in your Bible and underline it. It's an awesome verse. In times of difficulty, remember, there hath no temptations taken you but such as is common to man. Look at me. And the temptations of life are common to everybody. You just don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Most people face the same problems, just at different times in their life. God will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Isn't that an awesome verse? God will make a way to escape. He says also, Ye are of God little children, and have overcome them. Greater is He, the Holy Spirit, that is in you than He, the devil, that is in the world. The Holy Spirit, listen, look at me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. The devil is in the world. Greater is he that is in me, the Holy Spirit, than he, the devil, that's in the world. So me and the Holy Spirit, being God, yeah, well, we can handle anything the devil can throw at us. I don't care what the devil throws at me. Me and God can handle. But I can't handle it by myself. But me and God can. I can face any trial, any temptation, any discouragement, anything that comes my way, me and God can handle it. 
If it fails, it won't be God's fault. It'll be mine because I didn't yield to his strength. Everybody has problems. And the devil is going to jump on you every time he can. He wants to ruin, mess up your life. But you don't have to mess up. You can do right. Well, I want to win against the devil. I don't want the devil to beat me. That fight there, that battle that I've been going through for 44 years, a lot more fun than in a basketball game, I'll tell you that. The victories are better, but the defeats are a lot worse than any loss that you'll ever place in a basketball game too. You cannot live the Christian life without Christ. But Christ in you makes the Christian life possible. Without Christ, the Christian life is totally impossible. Because it's Him living His life through you. So God wants to use you to live His life through the world. I am doing the best I can. I am trying to be a Christian. How many times I've heard people say, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good Christian. You don't try to be a Christian. Either you're a Christian or you're not. It's like my son telling me, I'm trying to be an Arnold. I'm just trying to be an Arnold. You were an Arnold when you were born in my family, kid. You don't have to try to be an Arnold. You are an Arnold. Now, because you're an Arnold, live like an Arnold. You, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became a Christian. That's what you are. You are a Christian. So you don't have to try to be one. You are one. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to go to church to try to be a Christian. I don't have to go read my Bible so I can be a Christian. No, I am a Christian. I can't stop being a Christian. I was a Christian when I accepted Christ. And I'm not ashamed of it. There's something that we covered the other night. When it talks about the law, and what is the greatest law, and the second? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Very good. Well, if the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, then the greatest sin would be not to. The greatest sin is not drinking, smoking, dipping, chewing, and going with the girls who do. The greatest sin not loving God. Because if the greatest thing a man could do is this, then the greatest thing that's wrong is if he doesn't do that. And that's a great sin, not to love God. So now that you know Christ is your Savior, God says He wants us to love Him. And you have to learn how to love. You have to learn what God wants you to do and how to please God. We do not become Christians through good works. Good works are not a pathway to salvation, but a possible product of salvation. Because it doesn't mean that if you get saved, you're automatically going to produce good works. No, you're not. It's not automatic. But remember, good works, doing good deeds, will not save you, won't get you to heaven. But if you have trusted Christ as Savior, God wants us to do good things, because He says it's good and profitable unto men. It doesn't save you. You should do them because you are saved. Why do I go to church? Because I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm a Christian. This is what God wants me to do. This is what I do. So you learn to do the things because that's the will of God. We do good works because we have become good or justified through Christ and not by the works of the law. Well, just because they're sincere, does that mean it's right? No. If a person is sincere in his religious belief, that is enough. As long as you're sincere... And aren't there a lot of sincere people in a lot of different religions? Sincerity is commendable, but it can never substitute for truth. So sincerity is not a substitute for truth in any realm of life. A person may sincerely think a poison is medicine, but if 
he will die if he takes it. You can be sincerely wrong as well as being sincerely right. Let these things that I'm giving to you dispel the questions, the doubts, the objections that you may have because sooner or later I will hit the one that may be bothering you. And I hope that they will help you to become stronger in the Lord. And when you talk to people, you're going to find that they have objections. See, if they didn't have objections, you would win every person to the Lord. So these objections and knowing the answers might help you to win them. And some of your, some of your relatives, maybe parents or brothers and sisters, may not understand this. Let God use you. He may not be able to use you to the extent he could have at one time, but he can still use you. Let God use you to the fullest. Wherever you are in this Christian life of yours, God will bless you for it. This end representing you and me. And the wall represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God, he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves everybody in the whole world. It's the sin that we have a problem with. Because you see, our sins separates us from God. This end represents Jesus Christ. God, our sin separates us from him. That's why God hates sin. Because he, he's perfect and we're not. And he can't fellowship with us. We can't fellowship with him. We can't go to heaven because of this sin. And God says that since we committed it, we have to pay for it. It's eternal separation from God in hell. But he loves us. He wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And nobody's perfect. Nobody is. We're all sinners. The Bible says we cannot save ourselves by the good deeds that we do. The only payment for sin that God would accept is the payment of death. This sin represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into the world. Because he does love us, he took the sin, paid for it on the cross. This was his way of showing us that he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever in the world made it even, whosoever believeth. Made it where anybody can have it. It's not hard, it's not complicated. Even a child can understand it. That all they had to do is believe that he did it for them. And he would put the payment to their account. They'd go to heaven on what Christ did for them. If I offered you my tie and you accepted, you'd have a, a tie. If Jesus Christ walked in here and offered you eternal life and you accepted, what would you have? Eternal life. If it's eternal life and it lasts forever, then where are you going to go when you die? You go to heaven.